and welcome to episode four of the Outfield Podcast. I am sorry for being off for a month, but it is great to be back because we have an amazing guest for this fourth episode of the show, one of two openly gay male soccer players at the professional level, Andy Brennan, Australian, amazing dude who has a great story to tell. He is the fourth guest of the show. If you have not heard his story, I encourage you to listen to this show because you're going to get a lot out of it. And it's a great honor to have somebody like him on the show when there's only one other person in the world who can claim to what he has claimed to and who has gone through what he has gone through. So thank you very much for tuning us in once again. I promise you the break for the next show will not be nearly as long, but a lot is to come in the future. So stay tuned and enjoy episode four with Andy Brennan. promised after a month-long break unintentional break but it was worth the wait because the guest for episode four of the outfield podcast is one of two openly gay male professional soccer players in the world you wait a month for that andy brandon hello andy hello hello how are you it is great to have you on i'm excited as heck for this (laughs) i'm excited to be here thanks for having me there's so much i want to get to with you because you as as we said one of two openly gay male soccer players in the world as of this moment, hopefully it changes very, very soon. By the time you listen to this podcast, it probably won't change. But maybe if you're listening to this in the future, it will. <laughs> hopefully it will. Uh, we were talking about this before we started recording, and I'll start with this. It's been about five months since you've come out. Have you ever had a chance to sit down and think, oh, my God, what the heck's happened in the last five months? Um, no, not really, to be honest. It's, it's, it's all been pretty full on and, and, and things kind of keep happening and, and, and new things pop up. Um, you know, that it's, it's kind of made it all go, go by so quickly, but it's, um, it, I mean, all of it's been great and all of it's been really, really exciting. Um, and yeah, since the five months, I've been really happy. So yeah, it's, it's been a good five months. It's been a good five months, probably a busy five months because you're talking yeah. to people like me every other day. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. Well, there, it's because it's the scarcity of the thing, you know. There aren't many people out there like you. Yeah, well, hopefully that will change, as, as, as you're saying. I really do hope so, because at some point I'm going to run out of people to talk to. No, I'm kidding. I won't. <laughs> if this was just gay people in soccer podcast or queer people in soccer, then I might run out of people. That's not the case with many sports, although, as you've noticed, two of the first four guests on this show are soccer-related, and trust me, the quotient's going up a bit in the future. I can assure you of that just happens to be the way that the show goes. Now, (laughs) I mean, if you devote your life to this sport in one way or another, you're going to find yourself doing things of this nature, especially if you root for Tottenham Hotspur like I do, which means I don't really want to talk about soccer right now, but here I am doing it anyway. Uh, Uh, Well, I support United, so I know how you feel. There's always, it could always be worse. Anyway, (laughs) let's, I want to start with uh, your life because there's a lot that many people might not know about you because you are Australian and that means this story might not have made it over the Pacific, although it did to me and many others. So you were born on the island of Tasmania, one of, I believe, six children. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So tell us about your family dynamics a bit, because when we get to stories like this, you always want to hear about how did people grow up, who did they grow up with, what was their environment, and especially because, I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, I grew up in Georgia, I grew up in New Jersey or whatever. Growing up in Tasmania is a little bit different, or maybe it isn't, I don't know. (laughs) 
Um, I I had a lovely, lovely family. I do have a lovely family. Um, they're all very, very supportive, all very sporty as well, play their own own sports. And, and my parents, obviously, they were, they're amazing too. Um, so I was very fortunate that I pretty much pursued what, what I what I enjoyed and, and they always supported supported me, um, which was great. And yeah, Tassie's I mean it's a small little little island state from from in Australia on the bottom of Australia. Um, it's uh, it's a little country but not really. Um, it's I think there's two hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand in Hobart, which is where I was born and then going up the coast, you know, we had a shack up there so we'd spend Christmases um, there and that's very much country. But yeah, it was a really nice upbringing to be honest. So I do apologize if you all now have the theme song to the Warner Brothers cartoon Tasmania in your head <laughs> because it's a great show. I'd hum a few bars, but then this would get, we'd get sued and the show would be taken off. I can't do that. Go on YouTube if you want to see it. It's a good show. Most people know what the island is because the Looney Tunes cartoon, let's be fair. Um, yeah. There's not much I can say that. But in terms of your family dynamic, uh, you are one of six children and everybody was an athlete. Pretty much. Um, my, my eldest brother, Mikey, he, he surfs. Um, he does big wave surfing. Um, then next one's AFL, which is like the Australian football rules, um, which is Tom. And then Ellie and Graham played hockey. And the only one that didn't, Harry, he uh, does joinery, so he, he's a bit of a worker. Well, when we say hockey, we don't mean hockey as in what? No, not your, not your hockey. This is field hockey um, on the Astro turf outside, not, not ice, not cold. Uh, AstroTurf. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, well, you'd have to make that clear because I do hockey podcasts as well, and they're very different things. I can. Yes, yes. One is popular in Australia and one isn't. Um, yeah. I do happen to know somebody who's Australian and very into hockey, but that's few and far between. Uh, well, I think, I think my brother once tried a bit of ice hockey. I don't know how long it lasts. Uh, that was the eldest one, but he, um, yeah, it didn't catch on through the kids. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe on Tasmania it's not a big thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's maybe a bit too warm. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, <laughs> this time of, maybe this time of year it might be starting to get warm, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> in terms of your family dynamics just overall, you're growing up in an athletic household. It's a household, and you look back on it now, coming from the perspective of, a, of somebody who ends up coming out as gay. Do you look back on it go like, Boy, they were more supportive than I thought, or I, because you hear stories of people who grew up in environments that weren't quite so favorable, and you seem to have a pretty good recollection of uh, your upbringing, and it was, you know, again, there are some horror stories out there, and yours does not seem to be one of them. Yeah, no, it, it, they didn't surprise me at all. Um, it, all, all, my, all my family, all, all the brothers and cousins, because, you know, we've we got all the cousins as well, everyone's really been supportive, and we'd always... Um, we see each other a lot, and whatever we do, we'd come watch each other play sport, and um, you know, uh, there's lots of birthdays or whatever, so we'd always be there to support each other. So it wasn't really um, a surprise their reaction, which I suppose is good. Um, it's, obviously, there's still that fear when you're going to tell them, um, because I, I suppose you fear everyone's reactions, and you and you worry what will they really think. But yeah, it's just they've, they've all been so supportive. So well, I think for all of us, it is when you tell somebody that you're gay or bisexual or whatever, the view of you changes forever. Yeah. And that is a very difficult thing to wrap your head around even with people who are supporting you. Yeah, 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 no, I suppose you're right. So let's get to soccer. Uh, you played a lot and at a very high level very young, 
and you rooted for Manchester United when they were good. So you had some good influences <laughs> at that time in your life. You're, I think 26. You're the same age as me. That's not really that long ago. But again, maybe there's more. There was more Premier League in the two, late 2000s in Australia than there was in the U.S. But so, as a soccer player, when do you realize, you know, I'm actually kind of good at this, and I could start to play at a higher level, or is it just I keep playing and then people are telling me, oh, you're pretty good at this? Um. I yeah, it's actually a funny question. I've never really even thought about that. <laughs> um, well, I, I about when you when you ask when you talk with athletes about it, it's one of the first questions I think I hear all the time. Or yeah, I try not to ask it, but it's important here. Is when did you know you were good enough? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't even know. I suppose, I suppose I've never really thought that to be honest. Um, I, like looking back, I've I've never. Never really thought I've made it, or never really anything like that. I mean, obviously I've, I've played at a decent level, but there's always been levels higher than than what I've played at. So you're always achieving to to, to do more, and I suppose that's part of being a, an athlete that you always want to do more and always want to do better and never kind of rest. But I suppose, um, it, well, for me it happened so quick because I was playing in Hobart in Tasmania, and then um, came across to Melbourne and played for six months, and then in those six months got signed to um, Newcastle, so in A-Leagues, and that was a professional contract. So it happened really quickly. I didn't really get a chance to um, kind of reflect on it all, to be honest. Does it, do you now have a chance to say, like, even though, you know, there are some people who obviously are at a higher level, but you're still higher level than 99% of people are ever going to kick a ball around. So... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I completely understand and, 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 and see that point. But uh, for some reason, it's just... I don't know. It's I, I always wanted. I always wanted more. Like you know, when you're growing up and watching United or, or you know, these top players in the world, the top players playing for Australia, you always wanted to play for Australia or for you know, a Premier League club or something like that. So it's yeah. I, I suppose I've never really thought about about it. But yeah, I mean, obviously reflecting on it um, briefly, it's it's obviously was a good achievement or it has been a good achievement to play at that level. And you will still be able to say you played at a top flight league in the world, which not many people can say. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the, that, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> and as you're rising the world of soccer, you also, this is about the point when you start thinking or you maybe start to realize about your sexuality. So in the stories I've read prepping for this, I think you, you said you're like 15 or so when you realized you were gay, or is that the recollection of saying, okay, this happened then, I didn't really realize it in the moment? Yeah, it was probably around 15, 16 when I started to um, have... You know, you start to think and, and question things, um, and I, I suppose I never really allowed myself to accept it or, or, or think about it too much because it was a, you know, a scary thought. Like I, in, in Tassie, there's no one that I'm growing up with around or around me that was gay and, and that was out or anything like that. So it wasn't something I was used to by any means. Um, so in my head, like I, I always kind of just thought that um, you, you can't be like this and you can't think like this. Um, so I kind of battled with it for a very long time. It's so funny because when, when it happens to me and it happens to others, I thought it was a phase. I thought it was yeah. something you'd grow out of, and you never grow out of that, as we've learned. And also, yeah. I, I remember a quote from somebody who's just come out recently in sports, and they said, there was no homophobia because there were no gay people. And that was, it's like, it's a comment that you go like, wow. It, mm. Does that, does that sense you know looking back on it does that comment make sense in in your environment um a little bit but 
I mean, I still I still heard all the comments like you know, fag and gay and all that kind of stuff, and and hearing it kind of, I suppose it it built this image in my head that it wasn't a, it wasn't alright. Um, you know, there's so many derogatory comments used at the expense of gay people, but the people that are using those comments don't really understand anything about them or that they don't really have any meaning behind it. It's just a term they've heard and, and then they've repeated. So it, it, this kind of, it, it's kind of, this it's built up around and, and you just think that, oh, I, I can't do that because it's not accepted because all these people have said these things, but they're really not, a lot of them haven't meant it. And I've built it all up in my head. Like no one ever said to me that, oh, they, I, you know, I hate gay people or if I had a friend that was gay, I wouldn't, wouldn't be friends with them, nothing like that. But, yeah, it just kind of this stereotype builds in your head because of how people talk, I suppose. And when you don't have anybody out there that you could look up to in your position, especially, like what else are you going to think? Because exactly, at sixteen, yeah. you have you have nowhere else to go. Yeah, no, and the thing was like it 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 got to the point when I was fifteen, sixteen. I mean, and if I wanted to have anyone to look up to, I would have had to have gone and kind of sort them out. You know, there was like Ian Roberts, um, mm -hmm. who was who came out in the 80s, I think it was. Um, and, you know, I, I would have had to have sort them out. They weren't on TV for me. They weren't, you know, in the paper for me. I would have had to have researched them and watch kind of games and stuff. And it, it wasn't something I, I wanted to do because at the time it wasn't, I don't know, I, I, I didn't want it to be true. I, di I didn't want to be gay. I, I didn't want anything to do with that. So there's no chance I was going to go and look up role models. It's something that by people, you know, just being themselves and if, if people around me were, were gay and, and they were proud of it and they were just living their life normally, then it would become normal to me and it would normalise it to other people. And then these comments wouldn't be made because someone would pull them up and say, hey, that's offensive. And then they would educate them and, and then they'd understand why. And then it kind of filters down and it makes... Um, it, it would have made it a little bit easier. <laughs> uh, well, at, the, at this time, it's interesting because we're in nascent social media because, I, as I said, you're 26, I'm 26. We, I mean, different sides of the world, but basically at the same time. And so you can't now, 16-year-olds can look on social media and they can see you or anybody. Like, yeah. the visibility is there because the world is smaller. But at this time, that's not the case. Because you've had, and, and you've said this in some of the stories that you've been involved in, that people that were your age at that time came out to you recently, and you didn't have that when, you know, 10 years ago, you're going through this really tough time when it's starting to become a part of your head. Like, I, I just don't know whether I can be, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that's, that, yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, there's people that, you know, someone like myself is visible, to people that are in different states in different countries across the other side of the world like people can see these people um and they can kind of get that support or the, like you know at least mental support and see other people go through it and see that it's okay and see the reaction of other people i mean if someone looked through my you know instagram for instance you would you would see it and the amount of positive reaction is great and that's 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 so good because other people that are reading it uh, will be thinking, oh, well, you know, if they're 16 years old and, and, and feeling the same way, then it's okay. It's not anything um, to be ashamed of, um, you know. And it just takes a few people, you know, more locally to them to come out, and then it becomes, you know, more normal. And I, I think hopefully that's the way we'll continue to go. But it's so interesting still because at high levels of sports and. I'm not Australian. I know more about Australia than the average American, but I mean, 
it's not just I know who Steve Irwin was, but it's <laughs> most Americans are not like that. But even then, and the very little I know about Australian sports, it's not much better than high-level sports in North America in terms of people that are out. And it's the same. I mean, there are individual athletes out. Ian Thorpe, who's an amazing swimmer for Australia, is out, and there's some others. But it's, again, it's a lot of individual athletes, not as opposed to team athletes. And, Correct, you, know, yeah. you know, again, adding that another layer on, there's the sports aspect of it where in sports, this stuff has been said forever, like these, these homophobic slurs. And yeah. that's just the culture of sports. And so when you get into these higher level environments and it's incredibly competitive and it's incredibly high stakes and cutthroat, you're probably hearing it not just as much as you're hearing it on the outside world, but you're hearing it in the sports world too, which makes it like, oh, not only can I not be gay, I can't be gay in this thing I love. And play, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, and that's where a lot of it came. That's where, you know, you hear that kind of language used a lot. Um, and I, I suppose for me, that's where a lot of, you know, that, that mental side of it, trying to block it out, came from because you heard it around people playing soccer and football and, and all this sport. Like, it, yeah, it was a pretty pretty nasty environment for it. Do you think, we'll get to whether it's changed now, but do you think looking back on it, like, was there ever a point when you thought, like, I can't do this anymore? Or was it something like, or was the thoughts in your head so much that I don't want to be gay that it made you want to push on even more to play because then you didn't have to necessarily think about the other thoughts in your head, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that is is more along the lines of how, how I felt. I, I just kind of, um, I, I didn't really ever put the both of them together too much until it all became, until I kind of accepted it. So until about, I think, November last year. Um, so I, I never really thought about the two in combination. I just kind of had always thought, it, it can't be true and you know you'll, you'll find a girlfriend and, and whatever 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 um so the two i never thought of too much um and how that would combine yet until not too long ago i mean that's that's the other amazing thing is we're sitting here october 2019 to somebody who is out who is incredibly happy and doing all these amazing things and not even a year ago you're still in the same mindset of i can't possibly be gay i'm going to find a girl one day and this is all going to go away like, that's yeah, an amazing yeah. turnaround in 11 months. <laughs> it really is. No, and I'm not saying yeah. that because it, 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 you're, you're joking about it. Because, I mean, now you can look back on it and kind of and laugh at it a little bit, like how silly I was. But that's yeah. it's amazing. Like, yeah. that's not well, that long yeah. of a time. No, Between no you're somebody right. At their lowest possible point to somewhere where you are now. It really is. And, and that's why when I ask, like, how do you – even react to the last five months it's like that that's the one of the more amazing things is how quickly this turns for people and how quickly their lives change when they realize no you can be out and the wider world isn't really as scary as you thought it was yeah absolutely no i mean it, it has it has been a big i suppose 11 months because yeah it all started at the point when i realized that then having to you know, talk to people and tell people that were close to me and, and, and had all these fears and, and worries. To now looking back, one, all those fears and worries weren't valid. And two, like, uh, yeah, I, I just, it just seems so strange that literally a year ago I was hiding who I was because of the fear of other people or the fear I had of other people. It, it is, I, I mean, when you hear it with a lot of people, and this is not necessarily unique to you, but it is amazing how this, this changes and it can happen so quickly. I want to get to now, as you're moving up the higher levels of soccer, 
Um, you said Newcastle Jets. It's really funny how we're talking about um, one Jets franchise when I'm watching another on Monday Night Football, for those of you who want to know <laughs> when this is being recorded. And the other Jets, the ones that I'm talking about, are absolutely terrible again. Not like the Newcastle Jets were that great either. If I remember correctly, weren't they owned by the league or something at that point? They had financial issues or? Yeah, there's a few. I think they'd just been taken over um, from, I think it was Lead Light Group or something like that. I wouldn't know who that is. All I know is that that's from a Wikipedia article, me saying, oh, they were bankrupt at some point, something like that. So, yeah, yeah. But, but even then, at that point, you're going to a club that's not great. You've still made it to, you know, the A League at a very young age. What are you thinking about at that point? In terms of my sexuality, or in terms just of your sexuality, but just I made it to this amazing level, and I still had so much more of, you know, still pretty young. I've made it, you know, to the A League. Yeah, um, I, I, I suppose I just. I suppose whenever I've played, my whole life playing, I've never really looked back. I've never really had a time to think about that. I've always literally just thought about what I can do to to improve. I've thought, um, you know, can you go to the gym? Can you go for a kick when it's training? What are we eating kind of thing? Um, ne never really looked back and, and kind of appreciated, which maybe I should do a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I suppose I never really did it. It's it's so interesting then when you when you look then at this and this is something that I've noticed in in a lot of coming out stories and when you get to Newcastle there's a lot of things that happen injuries namely and you don't have to detail all of them but when I was reading some of the articles there were a lot of them and <laughs> I mean I, I some people don't want to look back on that as much but you, I mean I think one of them was, if you want to give people some idea of what happened. In terms of the, for it, the injuries, yeah. Um, I, I well, the, the main ones that I had were, were hamstring injuries. I think I had the first one in maybe the first three months, um, and then from there, I think I had two or three more um, over the next four months. But then we, we realised it was coming from the back. It was a sciatic nerve issues. Um, so yeah, it was just a bit of a um, bit of a disaster, really. So you can't play at this point you've made it all the way and injuries are derailing things yeah and it's highly and because you work all that way and then it just goes south and it and this is where something very interesting that i've noticed comes in with these coming out stories is when you're playing and when you're always on the move you're always thinking about how can i get better when's the next game you don't have time to think about really anything else as you've been saying when i ask you about looking back on your life and looking back on your career but when you're injured that day-to-day, -day, I have to keep on looking forward and always moving at a 1,000 miles an hour, that's taken away from you. So do you then start to think maybe more about your sexuality when you're injured and all of this other stuff that you're, you wanted to do all your life is now not available to you at that time? Does that spot of being out of commission, I think is the best way to put it, does that then allow you, or in your case, maybe, forces you to think more about other things in your life that you wouldn't have otherwise thought about when you're playing and constantly getting ready to play. Yeah, I, I think so. And it, 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 it's, it was stressful because obviously you're not playing and you have these fears about what's going to happen in the future with your football. Um, so you're stressing about that. And then obviously if I had, say, for instance, someone to come home to, you know, a girl to come home to, for instance, um, and I was able to, you know, forget about the football side of it and, and put that side of, uh, you know, aside, it, it would have been easier. But 
on the contrary, I, I didn't have a girl to come home to. And not only that, I was battling with the idea of, you know, my, my sexuality. So it was not only was it just, you know, not a, a, a bad thing, it was the opposite. I was, I was having an internal battle with myself, plus then stressing about the football um, and worrying about the future. And then also with, you know, the sexuality, worrying about the future because you're not sure what's going to happen. So it was a bit of a, um, I suppose, a, a storm of just confusion and, and uncertainty and, and not wanting to accept, accept things. And, yeah, it was a difficult, difficult period, to be honest. When you, when you see other people's coming out stories, and I, I, Robbie Rogers had this, Colin Martin had this, and we'll talk more about him later. It's a mandatory thing that we talk about Colin Martin on this podcast, if this is soccer-related. Becoming a bit of a running thing. It's not a bad thing, though. Uh, you see that they go through the same thing. When you're injured, you're taken out of your rhythm, and then you're in your own headspace because there's nothing else for you to be able to do. And that, I notice, is a trend. Is that something that, as you've become more involved in seeing athletes come out, is that something that you've seen? Or is it now something you're kind of just realizing? Or is it just something that it's an odd coincidence? But I don't think it is. Well, I, I don't really know. You know so I haven't had much thought about it. But I, I reckon that a lot of players and a lot of sportsmen, when they get injured, they, they kind of feel the same. I think they, um, especially if they're on the fringes, they worry about what's going to happen if they're going to be able to get back. And, and if they're dealing with other things on the side, I think that kind of inflates um, that those feelings about you know, all, the, all those uncertainties. So I think, obviously, if you have those problems on the side and, and if people aren't out and they've got these feelings and thoughts about their sexuality and, and the confused. I think for sure it's definitely, you know, a common theme amongst the, the people and the athletes that it's going to inflame the, um, the other side of it. And, you know, as a, an athlete or a part, like, you know, play at that, that level, I always had thought that if they, and they're beginning to do it now more and more, but, you know, put a bit more effort into the players outside of football so that they're busy with other little things and they can keep their mind off football so that when they come to football, they can you know be refreshed. Because when you go away from sports and you're playing it and doing it at a high level, and everything's so intense, and they're very peculiar about how um, they want things, you know, they want things done precisely the way they want, and it's a stressful environment. And if you're not able to to do that, or if if things aren't going well there, or if it is stressful for you, to come away from it and then have to think about it, and then think about say tomorrow's session. Without having a break and being able to relax, it's it's just and and week on week on you know over this what eight to ten months, it's a stressful environment um, and if things aren't going well and if you you're not settled away from football, it just heightens everything. So I think there definitely is that um, common kind of factor between you know the athletes that do come out. Is that why you think maybe now that you are involved more with this sort of issue? Is that why you don't think more athletes are coming out while they're playing? It's just there's not enough, frankly, there's not enough time to do it. There's just, there's, especially in, particularly in soccer, where the sport is happening all the time. And yeah, it's I, almost yeah. downtime. I think there's a, that's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, obviously, it's not, I mean, you, you spend, what, a professional athlete is around, say, 22 to 24 um, at, at the age where they're, say that age, for instance, and, and then they come through, but 14 years of maybe knowing about sexuality and being confused and, and not wanting to accept things. And then I don't think it would be the right time mentally for someone to try and come out because they're dealing with so much 
stress with work and with having to try and perform and train at a really high level. Um, I think, you know, the work needs to be done earlier on. And if someone was gay and it wasn't a problem um, and they didn't feel it was going to be a problem, I think that it would be a lot easier. The, is, the burden of it, I think, comes from the fear of not knowing what people are going to think or say and how it will impact your career and, you know, your future. So you, you never want to do anything that's going to jeopardise that, especially if you're in an industry that is so competitive. Um, so I, I feel like it's a combination of a lot of things. But if when you're growing up it was... Um, you know, it wasn't even a question of, of it being okay and you, know, you, you didn't have those fears, no one had those fears. I think that then that would make you know, someone who was unsure and who was just unsure um, and openly unsure, because you know, if you're unsure about something that you're not fearful of, you're, you're open about it. Um, and I think it would, would make a big difference. There's, there's still plenty of places in the world though, where this sport is played at a high level where that's just not possible. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely and, not. And yeah, maybe we're lucky because we're in, you know, in North America, in your case, Australia, and it's it's different there. But they, I mean, this sports play preferably everywhere, and seventy yeah. percent of the world, those 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 kids are not afforded that luxury, and so no, absolutely, yeah. And, and that's and that, that's the scary part of it, though. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm probably I'm, I'm a pretty recent example of someone coming out and, and playing at a high level, and I live in Australia, which is and, and in Melbourne. You know, New South Wales, which is, in terms of you know accepting um, gay people, it's well above you know the average and and how people do it. So that's the scary part that there's people in all these you know around the world that you know people get completely ostracised for this or you know even worse, there's laws against it or you know it, it's just a really scary scary thing to look at look out there and think you know imagine if I was in that place and then you know you feel so sorry for these people that. That literally just can't be themselves, um, and you know it's so sad. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to something else that's interesting because I remember in some interviews, and, and I think it was on the podcast you did. Did you date women? I did. Yeah, I had a girlfriend last year. Okay, so again, this is crazy. Like again, yeah, year ago, yeah. you're so being bisexual. I don't have to. Wor- this is not a thing that I will ever understand because you know, I'm bisexual. But I. The, the, having to go through dating a woman just because you cannot and you feel you cannot be yourself has got to be one of the most harrowing experiences anybody could ever go through. <laughs> I cannot imagine doing it just for the sake of having to do it because the environment, you think the environment around you won't accept you if you aren't. And particularly, yeah. well, I think, in, yeah. particularly in sports, right? Like, yeah. Because the soccer story that always gets to me is, is Graham Lasso. Maybe you know this. If you don't know this, Graham Lasso used to play for Southampton to Chelsea. He's now a color analyst. You hear him on NBC in the States. And for a while, I mean, they called him gay slurs because he read The Guardian. Like, that was 20-plus years ago. And, okay. and it's not that different in the world now. And there are still gay athletes out there, presumably. I mean, there's confirmed stories, depending on the sport you're talking about, that there are gay athletes who are married to women and have children right now. And yeah. so I, and I will never be able to understand that as a bisexual man who likes women. But for you, and as you have a chance to now look back on it, like you, you, you do it at the time because you feel like you have to, because the environment around you makes you feel like you cannot possibly walk in there holding a hand with another man. But yeah. internally, that has to be the worst thing that could ever happen because you know you're not in it for any legitimate reasons. And it must tear you apart. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is obviously very difficult, and it's not fair for the person you're with either, because you know you're not giving yourself completely over. There's things that you're worried about, or you're holding back on, obviously for obvious reasons. Um, but for me personally, um, that, that oh, there are obviously things that I didn't enjoy and, and didn't like, and, and felt that I kind of needed to do. But the whole process was actually really good for me because you know it it kind of really made me realise that this isn't for me. Um, and I, I don't know if if I hadn't have gone through that, um, I might have you know I, I might not have got to the point of where I did to, to say no, this is ridiculous. I've, I've I've got to accept it and and just you know be myself because it's who I am. Um, I, I don't know if I would have got to that point as soon as I did without first having had that experience. Was this relationship you're talking about? Was that the first relationship you had with a woman, or is it was the first serious one, the first one I'd had in, you know, was outside of high school and whatnot. Well, high school doesn't really, does that count? No, hence, Just not checking. serious. <laughs> Just checking, it doesn't count. So, I mean, I, I, I always, and I mean, maybe it's just because we, we go through this, but like the imagining of these people who are in relationships that they know they, in the end, they don't want to be in, or you realize that I can't be in this anymore. This is not something I want and I'm harming people if I do. Is there a point in that relationship when you go like, uh, I can't do this anymore. I don't want any of this. Or yeah, is, is there a point for you that where that happened? Uh, yeah, I felt awful at times because, um, you know, she, she was giving me so much of herself and um, she wanted to do more and see me more. And I was always hesitant and, and worried because I had these, my own, battles and own thoughts that I was, I was trying to sort out and she was kind of caught up in the middle of it I suppose um luckily for me she was amazing and is amazing um and was you know really supportive through everything but I felt awful at times um because I you know deep down as much as you're still kind of holding on to, to you kind of clicking and thinking no I really like this and you get you know this is comfortable kind of thing but it never happened and you're wanting it to happen but it doesn't happen and Unfortunately, it's at their expense. Um, but when 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 you speak to them after and, and you've told them, <laughs> they uh, well, she was she was amazing and really supportive, which is which is great, and it cleared a lot of things up in her mind, obviously. And that's not a thing that happens with everybody. No, no. Well, yeah. So I suppose I'm very fortunate. I mean, I I mean, as I said, I will never understand that as a bisexual man what it's like to date a woman when you have no interest in doing so. But, yeah. Yeah, but again, like, cause I I cannot imagine how many gay men go through that, you know. Yeah, I think I th I think there would be a lot of them, but I also it depends to what extent you're doing it. I mean, for some people, it's an experience thing, and, and it's something that can help them make a decision on on how they're feeling and, and kind of confirm things. For some people, it is about hiding, you know, who they really are. Um, yeah, so I think people do a lot of people do these things for a lot of different reasons. Is that when you decided, like, okay, now I have to do something about this? When that, you're, in point, yeah. you're in that point in the relationship where this is clearly not working, I don't want it. Now I have to do something about this. I can't keep hiding. Because I think you say, keep saying deep down you knew, but there was no real external confirmation, I guess, until this point in your life. And we're still talking November last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... It definitely contributed to it, but it wasn't the um, wasn't the reason I, I kind of thought, look, I've got to do something. I was actually um, I was on a plane to America, funnily enough, um, and I was coming over for three months. It was I think in November, 
I don't know what date exactly, but early November. And I um, I was on the plane, and I was going to be there for the three months, and I watched a movie. Um, and so this is obviously I had the girlfriend. I think it was early. I think it was around May till maybe a month before then, um, before November. And I was watching this movie called Love Simon. I don't know if you've, uh-huh. you've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, oh, have have you I, seen it? Have you seen it? I think every queer person on the earth has yeah. seen it. If you haven't, what the hell are yeah, you doing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, seriously. Anyway, so uh, I, yeah. I have a friend who works with the kid who played the kid. That's not the right word, but somebody who's worked with him, an actor. But that's that's irrelevant. But no, so, so cool. you're watching Love Simon on the plane. Uh, just just out of curiosity, where in the United States are you going to? California. Okay. Well, you you're you're all right there. <laughs> um, You'd have been fine there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I was, I was on the way to California. I was going to be there for, for the three months. And I started watching this, um, the movie, and I've never in my life been moved so much by a film just because of the impact it had on me. Um, and it kind of made me realize so many different things um, and how you know silly I was being that I was denying myself of being happy and denying myself of so many things that um, everyone should be able to experience. And... So through watching that, then I kind of watched it again, and there's a long flight, obviously. Um, and, yeah, I, I kind of just really at that point, I re- kind of reflected on myself and my sexuality and, and back at everything and then thought, this is, yeah, ridiculous, and, and I have to do something about it. Um, and then I was getting a bit anxious because I was going to be in America for three months, so I was, I was worried about that, and I, I didn't. I mean, as much as I wanted to go and experience what I was going there to experience, all the coaching and, and playing, um, I really wanted to, to go back home and, and just focus on myself and, 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 you know, understanding a bit more about myself. Because uh, you know, this is the first time I'd kind of accepted it um, and was willing to do something about it. Um, and so then, I, obviously, I landed in America and I, I lined up at the, um, at the borderline or border gate, whatever you call it. And I'll tell you, it's a very scary... Um, very scary thing to do to to walk up to these people who you know, security and that they seem just so scary and they don't smile and they don't joke they don't laugh and um, anyway long story short I ended up um, spending about ten to twelve hours um, in the deportation center um, and I was getting deported because I had the wrong visa because they I'd been there the year before and they thought I was coming back again to, to work which wasn't true I was, I was doing a bit of coaching and seeing mates and, and a bit of playing um, in the off-season. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I got, I got sent back, and then I had three months to to do whatever I wanted, and, and that's kind of how this all started. Yikes. Lots of things <laughs> I can say here. Um, we'll leave those comments to yourself, everybody. Please. Please do that. Um, anyway, well, because you know what people are going to be thinking about such matters at this moment. Uh, no, but more about talking to family and, and, and telling family and, and yes. kind of... Um, well, now you've got three months where you have the free... And now you have the impetus to do so. <laughs> so what is the process of coming out to close friends and family like? How did it How did it go? Did it go as you scripted it? Because it never goes as you script it when you're trying to come out to people. Um, no, it was very difficult early on, especially. I, I just couldn't say the words gay i i just couldn't i couldn't say it either yeah it was a very very difficult thing so i I did what i'm sure most people did and i said that i'm bi first oh Um, (laughs) jeez. and then here buddy you're killing me (laughs) and then from there um 
each person I told, it got a little bit easier, but still um, the fear of, of how they would react and, and what they would think. Because you know, a lot of these people I'd, I'd known for 15, 20 years. Like I'd grown up with a lot of them, been to school, played soccer with them, or they're my family. Um, so it was a, a scary thing to think that they might reject me as a person or um, yeah, might not accept who I was. But thankfully, I, I did not have one bad experience. Um, and that was through family, through friends, through football people, and then people at the club um, in terms of the players and the coaching staff. So... Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate, to be honest. Is there any one particular coming out story that you feel was surprising to you and just like the way it went down or a reaction that made you heartened to keep doing it? Is there any individual one that made you feel like that? Because I think everybody has one coming out, like person they come out to when the story just sticks out. It's not, you know, normal in air quotes if coming out is even normal, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, this is probably the first one. It it made me feel so. Um, it just I was just so relieved. Like for the first time, I could say who I you know who I'd hidden for so long, and something about myself that was kind of suffocating another part of me for for so long. And finally, I could tell this this person, and then from there, they were so happy and so you know excited. And then from there, it's been, um, yeah, it, it just rolled on from there. Like, I think I think the first one was the biggest and the best. Can we get, like, we haven't talked about the club you play at, which is interesting for the first 40 minutes, but I want to talk about <laughs> this because when I read this, the stories that have been written about you since then, the club you play at is really important. It's Green Gully. It's in Melbourne. It's, it's in, I think it's the second tier in Australia. If, if, you, yeah. if you ask me to tell you anything about the Australian football pyramid, good luck with that. <laughs> I know very little about the U.S. pyramid, and that's calling games working in some of those places. Uh, so this club you're at, it's a smaller club, but as I read it, the manager is somebody who's really kind of helped you kick on, not just with telling friends and family, but being out in the sport period and getting from telling family to coming out publicly. So go into that because this is uh, something that, is underappreciated and it means the world and I don't think many people can say that they had this. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate with the club. I had, um, obviously the players at the club were, were great and, and one of the players at the club was he's my best mate and he kind of knew everything from the beginning so he was always there for me and with me. Um, but when I told the coach, he was he was amazing. Um, he was really supportive and he, he just backed me with whatever I wanted to do and, and, and didn't at one point, question anything. Didn't at one point say you're sure that's a good idea. He didn't anything like that at all. He, he was just he just listened to to what I had to say, and then he um he just yeah just backed me and 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 so did the club. There's a guy there, Ray, who was you know, like the general manager. He um he was amazing as well. For not for one second did he did he worry about anything. He he was supportive and yeah. I mean, it, with without that support, it it would have been scary because now. You know the risk of you not being able to play becomes quite real because obviously the club that you're at doesn't want you to come out and be yourself. Therefore, you know I don't really want to play for a club that, that wouldn't want me to be myself and wouldn't make me be who I, you know, who I am. Um, so that was really really important and it really did help me get to the point of um, coming out completely and, and being completely open. But I think what mostly led me to that point was that I I told obviously the coach and I told. A group of players at the club that were close to me, the, um, 
And then I got to the point where I was thinking, well, I don't want these people, because obviously they're going to talk and, and people are going to tell, you know, a close person and that person might just sit, tell another person. And that was the last thing I wanted that the story of mine was going to get out to everyone through, um, you know, people talking about me and, and gossiping. So I didn't want that. And also I wanted to just be, after everything, because it had been so great for me, I just wanted to be completely open, completely honest and say that's who I kind of am and then just, just get on with football because at this point it had been, I think, what, six six months of um, you know, thinking about all everything. Um, so it is a long time really to, to be constantly thinking and telling people about who you are and all this kind of stuff and people have all their questions and, and it's the same thing. So I thought just to put it out there and, and be able to just move on. Um, it's, it's and yeah, the club is huge. It's also not a given that you're going to get clubs like that. No. Like, especially, like, depending on where it is. And you can only go based off of your experiences. But, again, not a given that you're going to get a club that's as accepting and as forthright with you as, as you have right now. No, no. I think, I mean, I, I think in, in Australia, I think most clubs would, would accept you. Um, I think Australia is obviously pretty great, but especially around the world, I think it would be a scary thing. Well, I think it depends on, again, it's not even just Australia. It's a matter of, like, would somebody... would? There's so many elements to it, especially if you think high, high level, and I will, we'll get to that later. It's There's so many other things that come along with it, and, you know, in some of these cases, you have global fan bases that are not necessarily from the most accepting parts of the world. I mean, there's there is that too, but... For you, and you and you think about it, like you ended up finding the perfect club, and it just and it happened to be pretty perfect for the situation you're in. And also, as I as I'm reading one of the stories about you you coming out, it's so interesting because the manager is is described in this story. It's 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 if you go back on Andy's Twitter profile, you could find it. The the manager's name is Stephen Downs, and he's uh, from Leeds, and it's described as like typical English, right? And when you think typical English person in football, I think of what? I don't know. Who, who's the most typical English person in the sport you can think of? Because I've got like 70, but I mean. Um, but whoever I think, is, uh, probably, probably like Wayne Rooney. <laughs> well, Wayne Rooney, I mean, we already had a Wayne Rooney talk on this podcast a couple of uh, weeks ago. <laughs> Maybe you listen to that. I, I, I have no idea. I'm thinking Harry Redknapp personally, maybe because I went through okay. that. Or, or Big Sam or something like this. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there, there's that. But, like, this, that stereotype in your head is not what which has to be pretty refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, um, it was definitely good. But, you know, I, I'd, kind of, I'd kind of, you know, talked to the club. And at, at this period where I was, you know, signing um, to, to go to the club, I had had these thoughts, and, and that was something that was in my mind that I wanted to make sure that um, I was at a club that would be great and would be supportive. And my best mate was already at the club, and, and you know we, we talked about it briefly and, and, and gone through everything. So it was it, it was something that I knew, like I knew that they were going to be great with it. Um, obviously, they were a bit better than what I thought um, because they're, they're, everyone was so perfect and it was so great. But yeah, I, I'd kind of it was something that I'd, I'd thought about before um, joining them. As I say, like you don't often get situations where it's this easy because when you're your own, on your own, and you're coming out, you don't have to deal with that club or team apparatus as much as, you know, 
it's one thing to deal with it on your own when you're in its personal sport, like figure skating or skiing in the case of Gus Kenworthy. But you, you're dealing with a team, and you never know what team you're going to get. Because yeah. if, you, if, you, if, you if we had gone to tell you when you're at Newcastle to then say, well, this is where you're going to be, and it's going to be so much easier for you, would you have ever imagined that after some of the rough experiences that you had, you'd ever find a club like that? Well, I mean, to, to be honest, I, th- I think I would have been, like, maybe at Newcastle and, and the people at Newcastle, I think it would have been fine there as well. Um, the, yeah, the, the players that were great there and the people behind the scenes were amazing. Um, so I think it would have been similar. But there, yeah, there's probably some clubs I could think of that it wouldn't be um, so great. Um, so, yeah. I, th- I think there are some some good clubs and good people um, that would fight for you and that would make sure even if there is a minority that that weren't um, accepting. I think there there'd be an overwhelming support for you. You you found a pretty good one. So now let's get to coming out publicly and when you decided that I'm going to do this and how you decided you were going to do this. Uh, it happens middle of May, but there's obviously a lot of work that's done before that behind the scenes. So at what point do you decide after all that you've gone through saying, okay, I'm doing this publicly. This is, it is more than past time to do this. Yeah. Like I said, I'd kind of got to the point through the club um, and and a few of the boys knowing that I didn't want them to speak about it. So that kind of sparked it. And then, you know, thinking that I just wanted to, um, to, to put it out there completely. And so I can just, you know, not forget about it, but not, not keep thinking about it. Just, um, you know, because you go to you go, you go to training and you're thinking, who knows, who doesn't know, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So to just put it out there and say, this is who I am and this is what's happening, then that, that if it, I was needing that. Um, and so, yeah, it got to the point where I rang the PFA, which is the Professionals Football Association in Australia, and um, we went through it and, and talked about everything, and they were amazing, uh, really, really supportive. Um, and yeah, just kind of pre-wrote some things for Instagram and and whatnot, and 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 put it out. And yeah, it was it was great. It was it was really good. One of the best decisions I've made. I would think so. And yeah. is there anybody that you is there anybody that you heard from? I this is a question I've wanted to ask for a while, and I'm you're going to hear me ask this question in future podcasts a lot. Is there anybody you heard from when you came out where you went, oh my god, I cannot believe I just heard from X Y Z, whoever that is. Um. Oh, not not really. I mean, there were a lot of people that um, I heard from that was really nice to hear from them that I wasn't expecting. But not knowing that I was I I, I was I was surprised or anything like that. Um, but yeah, there were some great. There there were, there were some people that were um, I'd come across briefly that um, yeah had reached out and said um, well done kind of thing like good on you. It is now time to bring up the Colin Martin point again. You you sent him something right before you did this. And yeah, yeah. What was that like? Um, he he was great. Yeah. So I, I just kind of I spoke to him briefly and just let him know what um what I was thinking and um he he kind of just shared his experience of, of how things went for him, and that just um just gave me extra support really just just in in thinking about how to do things and um yeah it it was great um to to speak to him and as yeah. You know that, that that kind of support is is really important because if he's been through it and he knows kind of what it's like, so without that um, and without people being able to see people like him, him, it's yeah, it was it was great for me. Well, he did it on a game day, if I seem to remember correctly. Which yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
I've never been a high level athlete. So <laughs> I have no idea whether I would have done that or not, but I, I can't tell people how to come out. I can only see what happens when they do. Uh, yeah. It, that's, it's still amazing that story, even a year plus later. And how much did it just make your life easier to know, okay, I actually know somebody I can go to and talk to and pick their brain on what I, what's, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. How much easier did that make it? Because if you were the only one out there, I mean, there have been professional players that have come out before, but there's never, there's, he's the only other one active. So he's the one who could give you an idea of what you could expect. And did, did that, like, if, they, if you didn't have that, like, how do you think it would have been different, this process? Or is it something that, you know, having it just made it just that tiny bit easier? Yeah, it's it's just nice because you can you can like I, I've spoken to and bounce things off him and there's there's others as well. There's um, Matthew Pacifici, I, I can't really pronounce his name that well. Yeah, and I actually I, I spoke briefly after to to Gus um, through Instagram. Um, well, so see, how, see, see, most most people would love to talk to Gus Kenley. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know about you. Yeah. See, see, you already. Yeah, agreed. absolutely. He, he he was great as well. See, 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 you do yeah. hear from well, people. Yeah, well, look, all, all three of them. Crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think I think that's really like really good because he, um, you know, he was he was great, and Matthew's great, and uh, you know, they're all great. Um, and I think that's really important to have that support, and it kind of it sums up the community that they they found the time to 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 speak to me and, and talk to me about it because that's what it's all about supporting each other and and making making everything. But being kind of in the spotlight a little bit and showing that it's okay to be who you are, you know. They want other people to come out just as much as you know, what everybody else. Like it's it's no it, like coming out is one thing, but it this, the saying is it it makes it easier for the people after you, and yeah, they must have been thrilled. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they were, and you know, the, the main advice that they'd kind of given was just you know to be yourself and. Um, and yeah, it's just that's the the best thing you can do. Not have to hide anything anymore. And yeah, so that, it was really nice to be able to speak to those people. So now you're doing interviews for five months, basically, and <laughs> and well, not just that. You're speaking at events. You were just in a, a charity game of some kind. You can explain that because I <laughs> my, my my soccer things right now. I I really don't want to like the sport right now because everything I like in soccer is going wrong, but. Beyond that, hmm. so you're you're playing in charity games, you're speaking at events, you're getting asked to do interviews from I don't everybody, pretty much. You were just in a GQ interview, which is again not something that I could have ever imagined ever being in. Not like I'd ever want to write for GQ, but that's neither here nor there. So, like, <laughs> what is it like now for you? And people want to, and we're going to get to this in a second because there's a couple of stories I want to get your uh, your opinions on, though you've said some of this already. Like when people come to you and they now want to talk to you about these particular issues, being gay and high-level sports, because there aren't many others, do you do you have to like come back to think to like, oh my God, they're coming to me, you know? Because again, there aren't many, and so now you're kind of one of the go-to people when people want to ask about, okay, this is a major issue. Who can we go to talk to? Let's go to Andy. He's 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 been through this. Are you still kind of used to that, or is it something that you're just like, I want to talk to these people, I want to be an advocate? Because as people have said, you, when you come out, you kind of fall into advocacy, advocacy excuse me, by accident because, well, nobody else is going to advocate for you in the general world. You have to advocate for yourself. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, 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 to be honest, when, when this, when I'd kind of gone public, I didn't want to do, um, I didn't really want to do any media. I didn't really want to do anything further. Um, but through, through everything that happened on social media, it kind of made me realise and admire a bit more to how important it was because there were, you know, it, it blew up and it went around the world. I had people in Europe um, trying to trying to get me to, to, to do things. I was on a morning show. Um, you know, there, there were so many things that was kind of happening and it did make me realise how important it was that, that, that more people that are out there and speaking, especially, you know, on, on TV or in the papers or in, you know, social media, the more other people see it and then, it, it could just fall to someone, which thankfully it didn't end up doing um, through that 16-year-old that we talked about before. Mm. You know, someone like himself, and it, it improves his life, which is a, a crazy thing to to think you're able to do um, by just being yourself. And you know, I, I think that's a, a pretty amazing thing, really. Well, we also have to get to some stories, which I know you're probably ecstatic to talk about again, but we have to talk about them here because when stories like this come up. You don't have many people who you could talk to when it comes to gaining an opinion that's really valid. And the story I'm referring to, you must love talking about Israel fallout every time you get interviewed. And if you don't, that's unfortunate because it, it just happens to be that way. Um, so when we get to this Israel fallout story, if you don't know what it is, um, he was a rugby player, high level. Uh, he said things. You can look them up. I'm not going to repeat themselves. I'm not going to repeat that because, excuse me, I don't want my brain cells to go away. You know, I need my brain to function. And so he said things like gays are going to hell. You've heard it before, but you never usually hear it from high-level athletes. And there's a huge firestorm, as you would expect. His contract got terminated by Rugby Australia. There was a GoFundMe. It was a mess. And you had a great Instagram post about what hearing those words would have meant to 16-year-old you. And again, as somebody, one of the few people that are out, you have an opportunity to say with some authority what this does to people. And would, as that story continues to somehow fester, however long it's been, your words on that really do matter. And that Instagram post, you should go look it up. It's amazing. Uh, and, it, and it shows the problems. Like, is that... So when, you, when you're asked about that story, like, what... How do you still like, rationalize having to say this over and over again? Like this stuff hurts people, and and especially when it comes from somebody like that, who many kids idolize, and what somebody in your vulnerable position, if they had heard that, what that would have done to you? Um, yeah, I mean, it, for me to, to to put the post out was really important because it I I never really I never really thought. Or, or had anyone growing up, or anything that had really affected me. Like me reading Israel's stuff never really made me question anything, or never stopped me doing anything that I was going to do. But it did make me think. Yeah, obviously, what would that have meant if I was 16 and growing up, and and kind of, and and heard him say these things? And it obviously, it would be awful, and 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 make you feel even more like you can't be who you are. And and that was a scary thought. So, as best I could, you know, not really knowing. You know, if if people would read it or, or what would happen with it, but I just yeah w wanted to put kind of my take on it because there was a lot of people, and this is what happens a lot. Of, a lot of people obviously disagree with what he says, but you know, a lot of people go out to attack him, and I didn't want to attack him. I just kind of wanted to put for this, you know, I suppose, an opinion of of how hurtful it it can be and how much damage something like this can do to someone um, 
who is feeling the way that you know many people have. It, it, you try not to take away the humanity in a situation like this, but we do live in cancel culture, and what he said was incredibly stupid, and he deserves to be ridiculed for it, but I, I think we lose in the end, you know, whether we say somebody's a bad human being or not, you lose the importance of calling out language like this, and I remember hearing you say there, you heard language like this in a game, and you went up and you said something to somebody. Do I, do I, do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard someone um, say something in the game, and you know, it's obviously not great, but th this is the thing that I have with it, that, you know, it, obviously these things, you know, are, are bad, and, and they shouldn't be said, but the person, you know, my experiences with it, you know, in Australia at least, is that a lot of people say things and um, they, they just say things because they just don't understand and they're not educated or maybe some people are a little ignorant. Um, and when you educate them and then they can understand it and maybe even are able to personalise it if they if they know someone that's gone through these things or know someone that's gay, um, then they really do understand it and then you know they, they change their behaviour because of it. So, yeah, I think... By calling people out, by, by saying that, no, that's not right, you can't say that, or, um, you know, someone like his ruffle out making a post, and, and if enough people say, no, that's not right, you can't say that, then it, it changes people's opinions and educates others and builds towards what we're all hoping, you know, the, the place we're hoping to get to. And the personalization of it makes it, it, it makes it so much easier for people to understand because, you know, just saying words like that, I mean, if they don't know anybody, they don't know who they're harming. But yeah. when you have a story, when you have saying like, I think the quote was, if it's just, oh, that's harming somebody, well, that's different than saying, oh, that hurts Andy, right? Yeah. That's, that's a yeah, huge yeah. difference. Yeah. Well, I think that that, that that was kind of something that I'd, I'd learned that it, it's so easy and, and people throw all these words or comments or, you know, people, it, it's just like you know, on social media that people right on Twitter and all these things and, you know, they, they say some harsh words about someone, they've got no idea who they are, um, which is it's just crazy to think that people would write such, you know, you know, if they if these people read it, and a lot of people do read, you know, the comments, and for someone to say something, you know, about people, a group of people or someone and, and harm them and, and, and those people, you know, a fear or, or, or feel upset for what they read, you know, it's just, I just don't understand it and, I just don't know why you'd need to go down that path, and, and it's just, yeah, it's just awful, I think. I, I have a phrase, you can't reckon with stupid. <laughs> so, and a lot of those people, I've always said that homophobes are homophobes, you can't reckon with dumb, and don't try to do that, because you're not going to convince them. But it's those people who say these words, who say them because they have no idea, because it's the culture they grow up in. We see this in every single sporting context, uh, almost all of them. And then you tell them and you show them, oh, that's a problem, you know, then the opinions of that change, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So now we get to the other end of the spectrum in Australian sportsmen doing things that are quite homophobic. And I think you know what we're talking about now. And it's another one of these stories I'm, I'm sick of having to hear about, but you hear about it. So it's James Faulkner, who is an Australian cricketer. I couldn't tell you anything more about him because I don't know anything about cricket. But he made a post on Instagram. I can't remember when this was. But he made a post with somebody, and he said it was his boyfriend. And so most normal-serving people are going to think, oh, he's coming out. This is great. 
right? Because people would like to do that. You know, coming out with your boyfriend sounds a lot. Sounds like something a lot of people would want to do. Although it turned out that it wasn't his boyfriend; it was someone else. And a lot of his teammates on Instagram were playing in on the joke, if you could call that a joke. I can't because it wasn't funny. Uh, and that's on a completely other end. It's very different in terms of how it's being done to Israel Folau saying what he said. But it's equally as homophobic and equally as harmful because it reinforces the stereotype that high-level athletes can't be gay. And when that story blows up, and this is not all that dissimilar from Israel Folau and in its impact, it's not all that dissimilar in terms of the time and what it's happening. It's almost happening concurrently. And you're also now just out. How, do you, how did you react to that story? Well, this one, this one happened, uh, literally, I think it was like a couple of days uh, before I'd come out. Um, and it was interesting because, the, yeah, there's obviously a lot of backlash with it and a lot of people upset with the, the post. But for me, it was kind of, um, obviously, it's not great what he did, what he, what he did and, and, and it obviously isn't ideal. But it gave me at least, the, the amount of support that came from it through the media and through people that were... Like there was a lot of support for it, um, and that gave me a little bit of, you know, I was a bit happy then to go through with what I did because I knew that the support was going to be there in in, in some regards. So I, I just tended to look at the bright side with that. I didn't want to focus too much on you know on, on all the crap because when you keep bogging down on all that stuff and, and and thinking about all the bad stuff that you know it causes, then I kind of feel like you let that stuff win and and you build it up and talk it up. But when you focus on the positive, you know the the positive reaction for it, um, yeah, it it, it it made me feel better about what I was about to do. You have a much better mindset than I do. <laughs> you have a much better I, mindset than most I think you have. I think you have to. I, I mean, honestly, I, otherwise I'd just get bogged down on a lot of little things that you know, could bug me or, or do bug me. Well, we now have to get to the third story, which is tangentially related to this. And as I was reading one of the articles uh, to prepare for this, to prepare for this interview, I forgot about the at footballer gay Twitter account, which oh, was yes. a thing, and I wrote about it right after it would, became pretty clear that it was a hoax. Uh, and if, again, if you missed this too, I tweeted about it a lot, and I foolishly believed that it was real when it wasn't. It was some Twitter account that popped up out of nowhere saying that they were a player in the championship that was going to come out at some point, and they were narrating it play-by-play, day-by-day with tweets. And then they said they're going to come out on a specific day, and then very quickly the account said, well, I can't do this, the environment's not great, etc., etc., and it went away. And very quickly soon after, a couple of days after, it turned out that I went to check on the account because it had popped back up again. It became some sort of Aston Villa fan account, which is how I knew it was a hoax. But that, to me, was really interesting. One, because I was stupid enough to believe that it was real. I thought it was too detailed to be a fake, and then, well, it was. And for that, and the reason why I bring it up is because we all want somebody else to come out in this sport. I don't want it to just be you and Colin. There are more people out there. But I found it odd that somebody would narrate their coming out on Twitter. It's not the place where I would have suggested doing that, and especially looking at your, the way you've come out, the way other people have come out, these things happen behind the scenes, and the public declaration is the last thing that happens. So that was also odd. What did you make of that entire situation? Um, yeah, that was it was interesting. I mean, I, I obviously 
since when it kind of shut down and the last message from the account came out, I, I didn't really follow it too much after, so I, I don't really know too much about um, you know what you said after. But I, I just feel that trying to look for these things, I have yeah. especially when um, it feels like you've been lied to, and yeah. if you have a journalistic instinct, it was I would be ninety nine percent confidence it was a hoax. But for me, yeah, I mean, like, what did you think as that's happening? It's just like. Because you have your experience and you have experiences that other people have, have had. And you're going like, my first thought was, why would you narrate this on Twitter? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I, I just try to look at it from, from the positive side. And, and if they were to come out or if someone at that level was to come out, it would just be amazing for, for the sport. Um, obviously, it's a shame whether it's a hoax or not. It's just a shame that the, there isn't anyone out you know, in, in that environment, it would just be so good if there was. So, I'll, we'll start to wrap this up by asking, like, since you are one of the authorities on this issue now, what do you think it's going to take for somebody at a pretty high level, whether it's in Australia, whether it's in England, whether it's anywhere, for somebody to come out? Because when Colin comes out, you have this big, big move, and I kept thinking, okay, somebody else is going to come out soon. This is going to inspire somebody. Then you come out a couple months later. So... What do you think it takes for the next person like you to come out? Um, I, I, I just think the environment that they're in, that, um, that if, if things change and think, I mean, in Australia, I mean, I, I haven't really been out for that long. I don't know what things were like, you know, even a year ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago. I wasn't even looking at the vote. Um, when you know everything got accepted, the yes vote. So yes, and I don't. Referring to Australia had a big vote on whether to legalize same-sex yeah. marriage in 2017. That's what we're referring to. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I really don't know how things have progressed in the last however long because, but on purpose, I've just not wanted to. Um, you know, when I was battling with everyone, I didn't, I didn't want to read anything or see anything. So I don't really know how it's changed, but I, I just feel that the more people that. Are, um, you know, the more it's talked about, and the more people, that, uh, you know, are, are given the knowledge that it's it's a, a common thing, and that it's it's not this, you know, it's not a bad thing, and, and that there are people out there that um, are gay, and you know, the more people that are able to, you know, come out and around and, and see these people, I think that it will build this, you know, education about it. Um, to a lot of people and, and hopefully get rid of the, the stereotype that, that there is in a lot of places. And I think that's the most important thing that build you build a community of people that are accepting towards it and then through that um, it, it doesn't become a problem for you know for people to even even think twice about it. But it will take someone as well in a, in a higher level um, field you know to take a bit of courage because it will be you know the first a first top top player for instance if they're a Premier League player. Um, it would make a, a, a big, big statement. I always think about what that would be like. I think Outsports wrote an amazing story on what it, like the first openly gay player's life would be like. If It, it was pretty interesting. Uh, and and, I, and they're out there. There are thousands and thousands of, of male professional soccer players out there. Even though it doesn't seem like there are that many, there are. And if there are only two, then that would be the wildest statistical anomaly in the history. <laughs> it's not possible. That's why I keep saying we know they're out there because statistics tell us that they are. It's just yeah. that they're not out or they're in a situation where they feel like they can't be. But they're there. I mean, you, you increase the sample size somewhat there. It doesn't matter your race, your religion, where you live, where you come from. 
there is a certain segment of the population, male and female, that ends up as in the sexual minority. That's just a statistical fact. So there are others. We just don't know where they are. And if one of them did come to you and said, Andy, what are you, what would you do? And if you were in my situation in general, what would you tell those people? Um, I would, I would want to make sure that they are in the right environment to, to, to do it and be themselves. Cause obviously you don't want to encourage and, and tell people to you know, come out if they're going to get ostracized for it. But um, if they're in the right setting and environment, I, I just think that people should take their, you know, their time and, and do it at their own pace because ultimately their well-being is, is all that really matters. I mean, anything else, I mean, of course it's great as a, you know, for the public to look at it and see a top sportsman come out, but the most important thing is that the people come out um, to make themselves feel better. So and if they're able to, to do that, then that's great, yeah. So where do you think your life's going to be heading now that you're out and now that you're relative, relatively famous? I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what fame is. I've got nobody. I mean, I do a podcast that is listened to by a whole 60 people. It's great. Uh, and, and maybe 70 others listen to me yell about other sports. <laughs> I don't encourage you to do that, by the way, unless you really like inane ramblings about a bad NHL team. Don't do that. It used to be inane ramblings about bad college sports teams in the U.S., and I know you don't care about that, nor should you. That's a, that's a terrible <laughs> thing to do. I put myself through a lot of pain. I've, there's more pain that I've gone through in my life in watching sports and rooting for teams that I ever went through coming out, which, which tells you a lot. But, <laughs> so where do you see yourself going in the months and years to come in terms of being an advocate and being out? Like, Do you ever see yourself maybe being like, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna bring my boyfriend to a, a a team function, and it's just going to be normal. Like that's the thing that I I dream about one day is that there's gonna be a high level athlete out. He's gonna have pictures on Instagram with his boyfriend, and no one's gonna bat an eye, and it's just normal. Um, absolutely, I will. Um, if I yeah, if I if I have a, a boyfriend, I'll, I'll for sure I'd take them to to wherever, and I, I yeah, I'd be excited to do that because I think that it would be. It would be an interesting experience, um, but I mean, in terms of the future, I, I really don't know. I, I I really don't know. I'm I'm not as you know. I, I'm I'm not planning for anything. I'm not trying to become anything. I'm I'm just. If people ask my opinion on things, um, I think it's important to give to give it because um, I've you know experienced I suppose you know a, a few things that people can relate to. Um, so yeah, anything that comes my way and anything I can help out with, I think that's really important to be able to. Um, share experiences so that people can relate to it and then hopefully make that those people feel better. What's the one thing you want people to take away from all that you've said, whether it's this podcast, whether it's any of the number of interviews that you've given, what's the one thing that you want people, whether they are very much into this issue like I am or whether it's just you know an average Australian, average American who's coming across the story, what do you want people to take away from it, from your experiences? And what do you want them to leave with knowing about this community and what the future of it is in sports? Um, just, for, for, I mean, it's difficult to, to say it for everyone because it's not the same for everyone, but that it is okay to be who you are and that um, if, you know, you, you need to find a place, you need to be able to be happy. So if you need to find a place to be able to be happy and be yourself, I think it's really important because, you know, after since coming out, you know, I've not been happier, which is... A pretty incredible thing to say. And I think a lot of people would agree with you that you're the happiest once you relieve this burden off your shoulders. It becomes the first. Uh, it becomes. 
it's not the life you lived, it's a new life, and it's, it's when you come out, it's the first day of the rest of your life, literally. Because everything, <laughs> everything's changed. It, it is. It's, it, it's how I felt, it's how I know a lot of people listening to this, Phil, and I know, I can tell it's how you feel, too, and, and that's... It, it just it just getting to know you, just reading the stories and then doing this, it's just you you just seem like a, you're in such a good place, and that's what that's what's awesome about it. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I really am, and I think that's it's funny because that's the power of what it can do. Um, the power it, of it, not it, living a lie. Yeah, it's so true. But it's also you know you, you have these fears, and then as soon as they're brushed aside, you're not fearful of something, and you know. If you're fearful of something, it, it takes away so much of your your mental thought and, and what you're thinking about through the day, especially if it's something you can't escape. And that is what happens with so many kids out there who are going through the same thing, and they would otherwise be in healthy, nurturing, wonderful environments, but they go through this, they don't feel like they could be themselves, and it spirals. And there's yeah. once it spirals, there's nothing you can do to get out of it, but having people like you out definitely helps. So. Thank you, Andy, of course, for being on and being amazing. Tell people where they can find you on social media if that's what interests you. Um, I think it's Andy Brennan 36 on Instagram. I don't even know what it is on a lot of other things, but okay. I think that's I what it is on Instagram. I will tell you what it is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Twitter. And I, as we found out, I don't know what my Skype is either. <laughs> well, they don't need to tell you. We don't want to... Maybe they don't need to know what your Skype is. Uh, it's Andy Brennan 36 on Twitter, by the way. Follow him. There's a lot of great stories and things that he's done that he posts, and I hope that most of you follow him, and I hope many of you who have not heard his story are hearing it now. And Andy, it has been so great to have you on. It is the first time I've ever legitimately had those DMs on Twitter at 2.15 in the morning, but <laughs> it's fine. I w my phone buzzed and I woke up, and I, you know, whatever, fine. That happened. <laughs> I've done one. I'm sorry about that. Oh, I don't care about that at all. There's worse things that's happened at 2.15 in the morning than that. My yeah. phone buzzing is better than the emergency alert signal going off at 2.15 in the morning. This is a test of the emergency. You don't know what that is, but trust me. if you, you Everybody in the, in the United States that's happened, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway. Yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> it, be thankful you don't. It was, great to, it was great to have you on, Andy. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a way to end the podcast. The emergency <laughs> alert system. That's, that's what happens when you have me hosting podcasts. At least I made you laugh. Thank you very much, Andy. We'll be back with more of the Outfield Podcast soon, and hopefully not on a month-long break the next time you hear another show. 